Welcome to episode 19 of Racing with RK. Be sure to log on to our website, racingwithrk.com, for the podcast library, historic photo gallery, and some of the coolest karting videos you'll ever see. Also, be sure to check out our advertisers, Carol's Orphanage and Uric Creative. Tonight, we're excited to have, for the first time, a father-son duo. Chuck Gafara and Caleb G are our special guests for our podcast. Guys, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you very much. Hi. It's, it's, it's great having you guys on here, and, and let's just get right to it. As I mentioned uh, when we're getting started here, I like to do these things chronologically, and we just kind of evolve from back in the day to present day. So, Chuck, we're going to start with you because you have such a rich racing history from more years ago probably than you want to admit. But let's, start, let's talk about the beginning, Chuck. How were you introduced to karting? Yeah, I mean – it, it was a, it was receiving a go-kart when I was uh, nine years old and it was crazy. It was from uh, Lowe's home improvement from back in the day. So it was a, what we considered a yard cart. And, um, you know, I had a, I had an uncle that raced dirt cars in Pennsylvania. So I grew up, you know, from five, six, seven years old going to see him race. So then we got this yard cart and I practiced in the yard. And then one day my dad's like, we're going to go to the dirt track. So we went to uh, Show Armor Speedway up in uh, Leesport, PA, which is still operating to this day um, and started my racing career. So. So you started on dirt. I actually did start on dirt. Um, that was back in 1979. And when did you transition to asphalt? Um, we transitioned to asphalt by like 1984. Um, and this is, this is real, like I call authentic racing. We would go race the dirt track on Saturday night in Leesport, Pennsylvania. And then we would go to my grandparents' house up in um, Summit Hill, PA, which is like your Hazleton, Lehighton area, Poconos. Um, we would change the tires on the go-kart and the gear and we'd go to um, Mahoning Valley and run asphalt or we'd go to Orville Kart Club down in um, Topton, Pennsylvania mm -hmm. and race on Sunday. So it was like same go-kart, change the tires and go. Um, we did this repeatedly a lot, you know, during those years. So now, Caleb, let me ask you a question. Can you imagine today? taking your chassis, switching out the tires, and putting it on dirt? Well, I mean, now it'd be, like, so different because of, like, you'd have to change the entire cart to a different No, way. no, no, you can't do that. You got to leave the same setup. Yeah, I know what you're saying, though, and that's and that's how it was back then. I mean, you you made some subtle changes, but the bottom line was a chassis was a chassis with, with some subtle changes to tires and maybe, you know, axle spacing or whatever but it wasn't a lot of changes that's pretty cool and herbines was probably in your back door too wasn't it chuck it was and that's where we started um that was about the 1984 1985 ish was herbines too um you know it was herbines orville Schoenheimers. those right. were the three tracks yeah um yeah so when was your first win and where my first win came in the Horseman Gold Cup, you know, just speaking national wise. I mean, we won locally, you know, stuff. Uh -huh. But uh, 1988, 
was the year that was kind of my breakout in the uh, the Horseman Gold Cup Series. Um, we had a local motor builder that we had gotten hooked up with there, and he uh, he made a deal with me. Uh, we got a brand new trick go kart, and he said he'd build the motors. <clears throat> and then before that race, he told me he said I'll make you a deal. You win this race, and I'll give you the whole go kart. Nice. Well, well, we we qualified. I, I think I qualified on the pole. This is one thing I can't remember. I, I can't remember we qualified in the poll, but we ended up winning that race. And that was against <laughs> that was against Charlie Sox. Um, you know, oh yeah. Uh, some big names at that time. And oh yeah. I was a little kid, you know, and I had all that, I had all that weight down in the seat. Yep. Um we got that advantage of running in that class and uh and we won it. So that was that was what capped off my whole uh, Horseman Gold Cup. Well, and, and it wasn't just about the weight distribution. Let's be honest, Chuck, you handled the pressure because back in the day, Charlie Sox, and not that he isn't a legend now, but was a driver, he was legendary. So you're racing with Charlie Sox, you're just a kid. Forget the fact that, that you had a low center of gravity and the card handled better. You still had to handle the butterflies and make sure you didn't screw up because he was breathing down your neck. Oh, absolutely. Because the starts of those races, you know, anybody that knows Herbines, you came up the hill you had a 600 foot straightaway, but the other end of the straightaway was downhill into a, a left hand 180. Yeah. And you, you were flying. So you <laughs> had those people right on your bumper. Yeah. Pushing you, um, breathing on your neck. Um, so yeah, it, it was, it was cool. But I, my biggest advantage was it was my home track. Okay. And it was like when I won there and I won that national, it was like, I got over the mountain. Yeah. And I had the, the confidence and um yep yeah, that, that's, that was a really cool part we had sandy gregory and tony sorello on a few months ago to talk about the early years of the gold cup we had a lot of fun and obviously your name came up and because you were you were a staple in that series and always one that you know people it was a good measuring stick if you could race with chuck you know you were you were doing something share with us a couple of your fond memories of the gold cup and I, we, you know, we touched on the Thanksgiving race and how much that meant to people, not just for the race, but the fellowship and the camaraderie the Gold Cup had with all the racers. Oh, yeah. I mean, what it's just like the Gold Cup. I mean, it back in the heyday of this, the Gold Cup was each class sitting there with 25 to 30, maybe even 40 go-karts um, that traveled the circuit. You know, we... We had the Southern series. Then at one time it broke and we had a Southern and a Northern series. Right. Mm -hmm. but, but all the, all the top competitors were traveled to both. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we always capped off the year. We started in Barnesville, Georgia. Um, yeah. That was, man, I just remember that race being it's huge. The, the first time I went to it, I'm like, God, how am I even going to qualify? For this <laughs> how am I going to make the show? You know, <laughs> um, the, the pit area. You know, and if, it, oh, if it rained, you know, it was like, how are we going to get the carts to the grid, you know? Um, so, so Barnesville was like the staple, but as the years progressed, you know, we got to have in Rockingham at Thanksgiving. Yeah. And, and we had a couple years, you know, where we go to 
go there for Thanksgiving and then we leave the track and we try to go to like Shoney's and stuff like that for Thanksgiving dinner. Right. And it just, it wasn't that good. Yeah. So, and this goes back now, Sandy Gregory. I mean, I remember Sandy, she's, she came up with the deal the one year she goes, we're going to do Thanksgiving at the track. We're going to yep. get all the moms and dads involved. And we had turkey stuffing. We had everything yeah. at the racetrack for, yep. and I, at that time I was with coyote. So we were, there's a whole coyote crew. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I remember we had the cart stand, the go-kart stands at that time had a, a metal tray. Yeah. And we had like the turkey and the stuff sitting on there. We had heaters <laughs> underneath it yep. to keep the food warm. Yeah. Um, but we had a big old time. I mean, yeah. you know, I, and I got to say, there was a time too where Rockingham were using, we even had some snow at one point. Yeah. We oh, did. yeah. 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 We I, had snow. It so, surprised me. Yeah. Um, but it was just such a, a family oriented deal that, you know, we all raced hard, we played hard um we had our rival rivalries and um but we were all family when the when the right. checker flag flew at the end of the day exactly yeah that's awesome well looking at the gold cup years let's talk about a few people that you and i know there was a lot of competition back then but some of the toughest drivers you had to go up against in your gold cup years um my number one toughest i would say because i i mean i looked up to him i looked up to his team was uh was keith guberle with uh-huh. piedmont car shop sure and Glenn yeah um now yeah i know that he was just i always looked up to them i always set my benchmark i was like if i can beat keith guberle i can beat anybody right. and we uh I, we came out one year at, at Columbia and we beat them. We went to Talladega and Talladega was, you know, Marks is one of my, in my memory, one of my really great wins because I would, I won all three heat races and I had Keith Gouvelet on my back bumper. And if what? I screwed it, if I screwed up one bit, he was going to pass me. But me and him were the class of the field that day, mm-hmm. and, and it was in the stock white class, which was the that was just like the Mac Daddy class and Gold Cup at that, point, that right. time. And I beat him, and that was uh, that was a really cool win for me because I remember coming in, my dad's like, "He was right on you <laughs> every lap. He was right yep. on you." He said, "But yep. you managed to to hold your own and not screw yep. up, and you know so." So Gouverle, he was a he was a really fierce competitor, um, you know. And I, I haven't talked to him in a few years, but I know he's still around. He's up in Hickory. Um, he he tried to come out with another go kart of his, and I'm trying, I can't remember the name of it right now. But so Gouverle, the other one I always looked at too that was fierce was the Margay crew um, mm-hmm. with Mac McCormick and Lynn Haddock. Yeah, you know I Mac was tough. I don't care what you put Mac on. He was tough. Um, and same with Lynn. I mean, I ran against Lynn, I, you know, and and now we're, we're really good friends. Um, I've used him in the, you know, back in the early, I want to say 2010 to 2013, I'd have Lynn come be my mechanic tuner when we went to Vegas. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was fun. But, but I can tell you, I can remember, you know, I can remember racing against Mac everywhere he went. He was tough. 
And then I remember Lynn. I remember Lynn because he was he was getting to the he was probably in his 30s or so, if not 40s at that time. And he's running against against us. And I remember seeing him at Barnesville sitting on the tongue of the trailer, drinking a beer, <laughs> about ready to spit his ribs out. Yeah. You know. Um, and he's like, boys, you boys are fast, you boys are tough. You know, but he was he was doing whatever he could to make sure right. he could get back on that track. Right, exactly. He's a heck of a competitor. Yeah. 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 So, That's cool. Well, yeah. you did you say Talladega? Yeah, we ran Talladega at the um down at uh the motorcycle. There's a motorcycle track that was, was that little Talladega? Little Talladega. Okay. Correct. All right. So that was a for a sprint track, that was a pretty big track. It was very big. It was yeah, okay. I got remember you. That was the years of the tire wall debacle. It was, a, you know, you always have something comes up in, in motorsports that gets the whole gossip. Right. Well, Talladega, little Talladega had a tire wall. That was your pit wall. Okay. Everybody, everybody was, uh, was really tore up that this tire wall is going to create crashes is going to suck you in and you're going to wreck and get hurt. <laughs> and, um, you know, knock on wood, you know, nothing happened. Yeah. Um, yes, it was the fast track. It was very, uh, you know, it was very, very fast. But you know, it was kind of like in a mix of a road race track from your uh, from your little typical sprint right. tracks. Yeah. yeah, a big a big adjustment to a Darlington or even a Rockingham that was a lot tighter. Oh and yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Well, well speaking yeah. of those tracks, there are tracks that, and you've mentioned a few of them that sadly aren't there anymore. I mean, they're I suppose technically they're they're there, but yeah. they're not operating. Mm -hmm. Some of the tracks you were the most fond of, uh, I call it my lost cart tracks. But talk about a couple of the places you raced at that you loved. I mean, you really liked those tracks, and you had good success at them that that aren't there anymore. Yeah, my number one that I miss is is Herbines. You know, up in Leesport, Pennsylvania. Yes, I know. I know a lot of my buddies too would be like. If we could just make 10 laps on that racetrack, the way it was for us to race on, you know, um, it, it, the track's still in existence, but uh, Dennis Herbine was the owner of the track. He sold it, so it got to be more of an amusement center. So right. now over the center of the racetrack is a, like a second story building um, that, is for like laser tag and stuff like that. So okay. you couldn't even run the thing without ripping some of that down to make it the full race course it used right. to be. So um, another track to, to uh, the, the one, the other track that I was really fond of were actually two of them, Darlington and then Columbia. Mm -hmm. Those early on in my career, I remember going with uh with a friend, uh, Jamie Steffi and his dad, they were out of Pennsylvania. We went to Darlington and I went down there and I can tell you, I changed, I went by myself with them. So I didn't have my dad with me at that point. And I was changing tires, sweating, sandy, gritty, South Carolina, <laughs> dirt, grass, yep. whatever you yeah. call it, sand fleas, you know, and, and, and but I wanted to go racing. And, yep. um, but I remember taking a brand new laser K go-kart that I had gotten and, 
you know, knowing you were going down in the heart of the South where those go-karts were made. And I, I thought I was going to have it all licked and it, it was a, it was a lesson for me. Um, <laughs> a rude awakening, but, huh? Yeah, it was. And then, but as the years went on, we came back, uh, I want to say it was like 1990, I believe, uh, Ron Moon, which is another famous name from the karting yeah. field. Me and him were going at it for the championship in uh, stock medium. And I remember putting a big move on him on the front straightaway because he, you know, I mean, nowadays blocking is a big thing. Um, back then it wasn't. And we came down to the white flag and Ron Moon dropped to the inside of the straightaway. Yeah. And as you, as you came down in that straightaway, you had to, you had to hook it on the outside, um, get around her else you went off the track. Well, I ran him all the way down that straightaway and I ran him to the breaking point and he was still on the inside. And when yeah. we got to that breaking point, I jammed on the brakes. He drove it in that little bit harder. Yeah. And just about slid off the track and I crisscrossed him. Yep. And took and took the win last lap and took the championship. Wow. Um, so so I got, you know, I was able to conquer Darlington. Um and then another track, like I said, the other track we were going to that was really tough was Columbia. You had to roll through those S's, but you had to roll off of that the tight S's and get onto the back straightaway because you came around a bowl. Yeah, both both straightaways had that bowl you had to come onto. So if you didn't release off of that right hand corner, you didn't get into the bowl properly. And right. um, so, and this is where my Dunlop deal came in. I was a Dunlop factory driver. I was, you know, San, actually Sandy and and Wayne Whispler from Coyote got me to be one of the the few drivers in the U.S. that were run a Dunlop tire deal and. So all of a sudden we went to Barnesville that year, not to back up the story, but we went to Barnesville and the six inch tires came, came about. And I remember Ron Moon beat me at, at Barnesville cause I was doing good. I want a heat race here or there. But when it came out, Ron put those, those little Bridgestone six inch tires on and he beat me. And I was like, man, well, then all of a sudden Dunlop came out with the six inch tires. So that was well, not to interrupt, but that, that was almost like changing gears, right? Oh yeah. It changed everything because the, yeah. the dynamics of the go-kart, you didn't know whether the go-kart was going to work or not. Um, so we went, we showed up at Darlington and we knew we had these six inch tires in the, in the trailer. And, and this is a cool story too. Um, so we had these six inch tires and we we're out there practicing on the fives. And then my dad's like, all right, we need to get these tires out. we got to see what they're going to do. Well, we bolt these things on and we're probably over a half second quicker than the field. Ooh. I mean, it was amazing. Yeah. So we took them back off knowing what we knew. And then we went into Saturday morning, we rolled out. And as soon as we go out for morning practice, we're, again, we are fast. Mm -hmm. And then it gets the, the Glen Kenworthy's and <laughs> all the other teams are marching to the tower to see, and, and all the people that remember Dickie Wilson, man, oh, yeah. he was a hard person to deal with, but he was a yep. very kind soul, yeah. you know, in one, you know, in another sense. Um, so they, 
they were all complaining. They're like, man, these tires, they say these tires haven't been available and, and you're the only one that has them. I'm like, I said, these tires have been available since the end of last year. I said, we just neglected to get them. Mm-hmm. So Dickie Wilson or Dick Wilson, I should say, called Jim Russell Sr. And Jim said, yes, I've had these tires on the shelf since December of, you know, whatever year that was. Um, you know, it would have been 1989, I guess, 1990. And so then Dick Wilson came back, said, son, he said, those tires are approved and you can race them if you want to. Yeah. So, so we ended up, we won, I won the whole weekend. I won every race the whole weekend, clean sweep in both. I want to say stock white or stock medium and stock heavy. And um, it was, it was just one of those amazing weekends you load it up and um, you know, and then that started the six inch tire transition for everybody Mm -hmm. in the racing world, you know, Mm -hmm. between the Bridgestones and the Dunlops. Um, And it was on from then on, you know, so yeah, yeah. that made a big difference. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, transitioning from karting you got into stock cars yes and had a lot of success as i recall and back then i'm not sure was it the was it the goodies dash series back then what did they call it yeah it was goodies dash, goodies dash. I, actually i mean I, I transitioned i went from go-karts i went in the legend cars okay and and that was a good it was a good move because I, i'm gonna say if you're if you're good in go-karts if you're good in go-karts, you can go in any sport mm-hmm. of, car, of racing. And, and, um, and, and let me interrupt you, uh, Chuck. Elaborate on that a little bit. Why do you say that? If what? Why do you – and I've heard that before, and I kind of feel the same way, but your comment, if, you can, if you're good in go-karts, you should be good in anything you get into. Why do you feel that way? Because it's about car control. Okay. You know. Yep. The go-karting is so much – I've tried to teach Caleb about this. It's about your, your head, your feet and your butt. And usually I use the a word, but, (laughs) but but you use those three things and and one relays to the other of what to do. And you got, Mm -hmm. they all have to be very connected. And when I went from the go-karts and I went into legend cars, you were dealing with a lot of horsepower and a little bit of grip, Mm -hmm. but I was, I was able to have that rolling speed. I knew what rolling speed was. Right. And get it through the corners and then slowly get on the gas pedal to get the maximum grip and get to the start finish line. And so the legends were very good. Um, Did that for a few years. And I went into a, I I built a late model stock. Um, I, I just didn't have the money to compete in late model stock. It was a great class. It's just to me, it was just expensive. And um, were those the ones I, that were running on the on Charlotte? That and then that was no late model stocks ran like your little short tracks like Concord. Okay, because they they had a um, late model stock version of some sort, some type of a late model car. They were racing on Charlotte for a while, but they they had some yeah. pretty bad bad crashes. Yes. Oh, that was the Sportsman series. Sport, we're talking Sportsman about. series. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That, I think that the concept one. was good on paper, but those guys weren't weren't ready for those kind of speeds. I don't. No, know. that was like taking a street stock and trying to run it on the high banks. You know. Yes. It was, yes. It was exciting, but it was also very dangerous. Very dangerous. Yeah. Bad, 
bad fiery accidents at that mm -hmm. track about yep. that. So, so then, you know, I, and truthfully, I mean, I was in the late model, um, you know, my father-in-law at, at that time, he was, is my girlfriend's, was with Jacqueline's dad. And he helped me as much as he could, but I couldn't afford the Mac daddy motor, you mm -hmm. know? And mm -hmm. I, so we went racing a bit, but I was like, it got to the point where I was like, man, I can't afford this. It's like my house payments due next week. <laughs> yeah. And I, and it's like, I'm going to Hickory or Tri-County and I got to buy a set of tires. Yeah. I'm like, okay, set of tires or the house payment. Right. And that's when I realized it's like, man, I got to call it. I got to call it here. I mean, I love this, this, but I, I, I can't afford it. Mm -hmm. So I ended up parking the lay model, let it sit. I was working at Penske at the time, still making contacts, still making calls and, you know, trying, I was still, I just wasn't letting go of the, the, the passion of racing. And, right. um, I, of all things, I made a contact with, with a guy at a football game for the Carolina Panthers. And we're up in the suite, which was the Miller Brewing Suite, which, uh, sponsored Rusty Wallace and the Penske team. And, mm -hmm. But it was a different deal because I was there about, you know, we were there to watch the football game. And as the the day progressed, the guy's like, oh, I heard you used to race go-karts. He said, I'd like to get my kid into go-karts. Well, at the same time, the guy that was with me was Mike Morton. And Mike Morton was one of the uh, the silent owners of Trick Go-Karts. Okay. Um, and this is well after I drove there. Yeah. And he's like, huh. He said, you want a go-kart? What color do you want? He said, you have to on Tuesday, you know? Yeah. yeah. And um, and he's like, Chuck wants to go race in his dash car. He said, what, what can you do for him for that? You know, there so you it, go. Like a, it, it just spurred on that whole deal. And and so I was able to put together a program and it made sense for the local breweries to sponsor me for the Goodies Dash Series. And nice. that was how it all evolved. Now... The start to my racing a Goodies Dash car was also at a uh, is like a, a life changing event for for me too because my wife at, at that time she was my fiance had breast cancer. Oh dear! So I was supposed you know as the end of the year comes you're trying to prepare for the following year and it's like I got to do these different races to get my approval to race Daytona. Right. And, but she was having surgery and stuff. And I was like, I called the guy that I was going to drive for. I said, I have to take, I have to move this to another week. I said, I can't race this weekend. I said, she's having surgery. I need to be there with her. Um, so, you know, I, I, that's what I did. And I knew that was the right thing to do. You know, just, it wasn't, you know, so as bad as I race and want to race and yeah. this was the right thing to do absolutely yeah. so so we postponed it and then i was able to get three more races in the rest of that year and shoot my first race in that car i think i ran like 12th or 14th in the race with it and then we went to lakeland florida and that was a, that was a pretty big track and i'll tell you what i was struggling i mean it's like we had we thought we knew what we were doing. I had, I thought I had a good car, 
And I was like, just struggling. I, I guess I was overdriving the thing. I wasn't comfortable with anything. You know, that's back when it was biased by tires and all mm -hmm. that. So, right. So anyway, we get in the race, we qualified, I don't know, probably 25th or 26th out of the 34 cars. Um, and I was like, man, I, I remember my godfather, he's from Florida. He was there to watch. And I'm like, man, this just doesn't look good. I'm just not, well, that green flag dropped. And I'm driving down the straightaway. And I'm like, man, why are these guys letting off so early? You know, it's like, I don't understand what's going on. I'm driving this thing in the corner. And, and my crew chief, it was a, this guy, nickname is Nick, Chubby. A guy named Chubby from uh, down in South Carolina. He said, son, he said, you can't, you got, you can't be driving it in that hard. He said, it doesn't let the spool release, you know, in the rear end. I'm like, what? So then all of a sudden I started letting off early like they did. And then I found the secret to that. Oh. I found the secret to everything. And I'm telling you, I flew through that field. Yeah. The next thing you know, there's like 10 laps to go. I'm hunting down Robert Huffman, which was a multi-time champion. In oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm passing people on the outside, you know, especially at Lakeland around three and four. I found the whole groove to it. Well, then with 10 laps to go, they had a red flag in the race, so we had to stop. And I'm sitting there in fourth, right behind Huffman, and, and I, the Hobgoods were there and stuff. And, and I'm like, man, I swear I got this. I got this. Well, when we went to back to green, the, the obviously the tire temperatures and all change yeah. and everything. And I was just basically a fourth place, but I came home fourth place. Yeah. And it's like, that was a win for me in a, in a car. It was such a big moment. And, um, you know, so then we, you know, we closed out 2001, um, started off 2002 and we were going goodies dash race. And I had the funding to do it. And I was still working at Penske. Mm -hmm. So, um, as this progressed, I was a very, if nobody knows that I was a very big fabricator at Penske racing for years. Um, mm -hmm. I had worked with a lot of good people. I had a lot of good people teach me. I listened. Um, but when it came to 2002, I was getting married on February the 2nd. I was, which we celebrated our 19 year anniversary last night. Um, I saw that. We, Congratulations. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, it was a, it was a deal with work. I mean, I, and I respect everybody that I work with there. I was, I was young. I, I, at that time I was 32, but I was a young, I felt I was a young driver. I was still trying to make it. And I had the opportunity to go race Daytona, but Penske didn't want me to go to Daytona. They were like, Chuck, just skip Daytona. You can run the rest of the series. Um, but we just don't want you to go Daytona. I'm like, it's, it's too big and too I'm fast. Like, you were but I'm like, it. I don't know. I was just like, but I said, man, this is Daytona. Right. Said, How many people get to say they race Daytona? And so I ended up, I had to go to my rookie, go get the rookie test at Daytona. And it was funny. As the week progressed, everybody at work knew I was going. They knew it. Well, then all of a sudden the boss came to me and said, hey, we're working on Saturday. Like, <laughs> we're working Saturday? I said, man, I'm already working on the car for Richmond. I said, I got the Daytona stuff done. We're all under, this is like the 13th of 
this is 13th of January, I think it was. So as the week goes on, I called NASCAR and they said, yeah, you can come Sunday and take your rookie test. I'm like, okay, good. Had it all handled. Well, some of my buddies at Penske let everybody know this, that, hey, he's going to go Sunday. Yeah. Well, they waited till Friday to tell me that, hey, we're going to work. Su- we're going to work the whole uh, weekend. We're gonna oh, work my Sunday. gosh. Oh. I know. And I was like, oh, my God, this is crazy. I'm like, I, I got to go get my rookie test or I can't race Daytona. Yeah. So I talked to some of my buddies and I'm like, it got to be five o'clock on Friday. And I went and got all my air tools and all my stall, my tools. And I went over to my big old mac toolbox and i locked everything in there and i went i remember putting those keys in there and going click click and uh went to the house packed my suitcase and went to daytona on friday night wow yeah so you know and um i went and tested i I didn't get on the car in the car until sunday and i when i went out there i ended up being second quickest Mm. And I had, it was a Randy Humphrey. He, okay. he put me in his car and he said, here, go out and do your rookie test in this. And I, I, I went out there and sat second of like 30 some cars that were tested. Wow. Wow. And it was like instant. I came in, you know, you have that fire and you're like, they're like, man, how did you do that? I'm like, I don't know. I said, I just mashed it to the floor and drove it around the track. Like <laughs> I would if I was playing a video game, you know? Right. Right. Um, you know, there's no magic to it. It's all about the, it's a lot about the car, but, um, but it was just cool to go out and do that and pass my test and came back home Sunday night and went into work Monday, like nothing was wrong. And 30 minutes later, they called me down the office. And Uh so it it was, like I said, I didn't get fired. I got let go. Um, And it was, it you know, and they, they were like, Chuck, we just told you not to go to Daytona. I'm like, I know, but it's Daytona, you know? <laughs> and so, I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was a mutual parting. Um, I had been moonlighting for years in my own shop. Right. You know, doing bodies for the lower series, you know, at night to make money to go racing. And um, so that's, that's how I started my business. Wow. I, um, I was, I was kind of, I was, I got that little kick in the butt. And, um, so I, that first week, I remember hanging a body for, uh, for Bobby Gill for his Hooters pro cup car. Mm-hmm. Um, I got paid like 7,500 bucks. There you go. I was like, wow, this is easy. Business yeah. is easy. You know? <laughs> and, uh, and we went, uh, me and my wife and we got married. I, we left from, the wedding, spent the day watching the suit, we watched the Super Bowl, and then I drove to Daytona and I raced Daytona the next weekend. And then wow. we went on our honeymoon. Wow. So um, so that that's how I got my start to that. And and I raced the Goodies Dash series that year, 2002, got rookie of the year. Um, never won a race. We had some, you know, we sat on a pole, we qualified well, we finished. I think I finished more thirds, third place finishes, um, a lot of, you know, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, sevenths. Um, so it, it was, like I said, it was a lot of fun. The series made a change 
that's where NASCAR started selling off their uh, lower divisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that took its toll on getting sponsorship funds. Sure. Um, if you had TV, you had any kind of exposure like that, sponsorship dollars were easy to get. Mm-hmm. And um, I did do a, at the end of the, I don't know, it was in 2002 or 2003, I got, I did one all pro race and I got in the, uh, I got in that number five car, the famous number five car in the all pro series was Richie Waters owns it that like Johnny Sauter drove it. Kenny Wallace drove it yeah. and stuff. And I went to Memphis. I knew that track. I had run well there in the goodies car and, um, you know, went there and I, I don't, we didn't really, I don't think the motor was gone through and the motor ended up blowing up halfway through the race, you mm-hmm. know, and I had, I can't remember how much money we paid for that ride for that race, but it was wow. a sizable chunk. Yeah. And it was like, uh, you know, it's like, I wanted a top 10 run, um, you know, and so I did that all pro, but I was like, man, I just, I can't find that money to go right to get in the big league. I can't find right. that money to get in a truck. And, and I kind of, I guess that was the moment I said, you know what? I'm going back to having fun. Yeah. And fun was carding. Yeah. So, uh, so Sandy and Sandy and Glenn got me back in a cart with, with Travis firing and mm-hmm. started traveling around with them, having some fun and racing and did that for a few years. Went, went off into the, the road racing ranks with uh, yeah. WK and mm-hmm. started off at Kershaw. Didn't know what the heck I was doing. A buddy of mine had a road <laughs> race cart. So here you go. You got to mash the gas. And, um, you know, so I did that. And then by, I did that for about four or five years in the road race. I enjoyed it, you know, doing the Daytona, the road America, the, you know, Topeka, Kansas, uh, mid Ohio, mm-hmm. stuff like that. And by 2010, I had worked my way to, we won like, over 75% of our races. I mean, it was like, it was like a a Randy and Rick and Randy folks type status. They, they did it. And yeah, you know, we had a motor home and a trailer and my dad would come with me to a lot of the races and it was laid back and fun and family again. And, you know, and, um, and then, then about 2008, here comes Caleb. Yeah. Um, you know, and we, didn't know where he was, if he was going to do it, if he was going to like it. I mean, he was, I, I had him in the motor home. This would have been 2008, probably three months after he was born him and Jacqueline and I'm racing road America, you know, I I remember, (laughs) I remember starting this race, Jim Russell Jr. got me to go up there and we started this money race and it was like, 50 carts deep. Yeah. And me and me and him started in the back and we hit the green flag right because this was a rolling start for this type of race. And me and him came down the inside of that track all the way up into to turn one at Road America. And, and I made a pass and I came from all the way in the back. I think I was sitting in fourth on the first lap. Oh my gosh. And I came in and I remember Jim Russell saying, that move you made on the first lap, he said, that wasn't a new dad move. He said, you were just, you were going for the win. And yeah. uh, I ended up winning that. I ended yeah. up winning that money race, but it was like, but yeah, it was one of those moves. It was like, to me in go-karting, it was, 
it was just second nature. You know, you just sure you knew you were going to do. You knew the outcome coming out of that corner. You knew you weren't putting anybody in danger. But yeah. hey, we're here to race. We're going for the win. And, and you know uh, what? The majority of guys in that race never did a rolling start. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So exactly. Yeah. You know, we did it all the time. So yeah. So you know, so as we progressed through the years, I I left road racing. I had a wild hair to go to the supernats okay uh, i was like we went out jim had been talking about it we went to 2009 jacqueline and i flew out there for just a week uh for the weekend jim said hey let's go out and run this i don't even know how you say it machismo machismo race the machismo 500 it was a, in mexico or something no 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 this was in uh this was at the Supernats. Oh, really? It, it was run during the night. So oh, the, Supernats okay. were, the Supernats ran during the day, but okay. this Saturday night thing, they had an endurance race. Oh, it went, all right. It went for 10 hours. So okay. from 6 p.m. until, you know, well, I guess it was 12, it was be 12 hours, so 6 a.m. <clears throat> and um, you can have teams of people. So Jim and I were like, yeah, let's enter it, man. Let's me and you do it. Okay. So then we did it. We actually, David Cole, he wanted to drive one stint so he could do an article with e-carding news on it. Um, but so Jim and I raced hour and 15 minute stints all night long. And I can tell you one thing, it gets cold in Vegas at 2 oh, yeah. 30 in the morning. Oh yeah. Oh, and we ended up winning that race by a lap. Um, you know, against teams of four or five, six people. And mm -hmm. I mean, it was, it was crazy cool, but that was the year that Michael Schumacher was there, you know, so oh, that was the other, yeah. that was the other part of me going to Vegas. It's like, man, I, I want to see Schumacher race. So, so we got to see it. And then I continued to do the road race and then the go-karts. But then I told Jim, I said, Jim, I'm going to rent a ride for the Supernats. He's like, you're crazy. You know how much that costs? You know, so I was surfing around prices for like for a Tony car deal it was going to cost, man, like $7,500 or so. Right. And I, it wasn't but a week or two later, I, you know, me and Jim played off each other all the time. And it's, it wasn't but two weeks later, Jim calls, hey, well, don't, don't, don't shop for a ride. He said, we're going to Vegas. So he took a truck and trailer out there and we ran Vegas. And yes heck my first time out there i mean i hadn't been on a two cycle on a sprint track i don't i can't remember when the last time it was i did that i did go the week before supernats and went to kershaw and ran a race against um i want to say it was jared andretti was in it um it was john's it was john's son and so that was my first weekend really even sprint racing and then we loaded up and went to Vegas and I came in from practice and I'm like, all right, I just went out there and ran as hard as I could, you know, and then after about two practice sessions, they made you put your transponders on and I come in and look at the time charts and I was the fastest. There you go. You know? And I was like, wow. And then I went out for another practice and I came in, I was fastest again. I'm like, this is crazy. So even Mac McCormick, he was out there racing and, and it was, uh, when we got down to the final, 
I don't know, I must have crashed out of one of the heats or something. Started ninth or tenth in the main. Um, and I ended up getting fifth. I remember I had to pass Mac coming down to the end of the race, but I ended up fifth in that thing. So that spurred on my sprint racing deal. Um, so then I, here I am, what, what year is this? 2010. So I'm already 40 years old and we're going to go sprint racing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but I found a really cool thing. That was when all these rib vests, you know, were coming out. Rib tech, uh, Robbie Mott, mm -hmm. he came out yep. with that rib tech vest and I put that on. I'm like, I feel 18 again. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so we, um, so we had fun. Um, yeah. we had a lot of fun. We raced a lot. We got to go to, I even got to go to Europe a couple of times. With, I remember uh, that. Yeah. Some stuff, you know, you, and, uh, with, you and Phil Kirby, right? And yeah. And Kirby Russell. and yeah. Kirby, Jim Russell, Jr. Um, yeah. uh, uh, Chris Scribner was on our team yeah. for the one Europe race and we ended up getting the podium. Yeah, um, that's cool. You know, I did a lot of, a couple other races there and I, I just, you know, I knew, I knew what Europe was like and, um, and I, I just, I, I'm glad to now say that we have Caleb doing a little bit of it. So well, that, exactly. And we, we've got another European driver on the show, so to speak. And I, before we yeah. transition over to Caleb, I've got to ask you, Chuck, I want yeah. you to compare those days, maybe, maybe that race when you were starting uh, ahead of Charlie Sox in the Gold Cup for your first Gold Cup win and the butterflies you had then versus Caleb at a national or maybe one of these big uh, international events when he's about ready to take the green. Uh, share with me the emotions and the butterflies, how they compare when you're in the seat versus Caleb. Um, you know, Caleb and I have talked about this a lot because some people get nervous, but I never really got nervous. I mean, I felt the pressure, you know, I felt the pressure of somebody behind me, but I didn't, I never got too nervous about it. I might've gotten nervous if, if some guy that had wrecked me or we had gotten into it was starting beside me, I'd be like, mm -hmm. oh man, I hope this plays out right. Right, um, right. So that was but I really was always calm about it. It's like, I, I always played out my scenarios of before that green flag dropped of, you know, this happened, that happened. What, what was going to be my, my, what was going to be my avenue to get out of that? Right. Um, you know, knock on wood, I, I had pretty good judgment with stuff. Um, I was able to steer through a lot of it. Um, I remember one year Vegas started 26 and it's like, my and Jim was starting up front and he's like, Oh man, if you said, if you get to the top 10, you're going to be lucky. Well, I remember going through turn one and the seas parted and I had the, I picked the <laughs> right lane. Yeah. And I was 10th on the first lap. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, but now I watch Caleb and, you know, I watch him and I get, I get nervous to see him get through turn one. Yeah. But, then I sit there and I look and I'm like, this kid's got more talent than I've ever had, you know, and, and he, and he rolls, rolls through it, rolls on. And, um, you know, he's learning all, you know, still learning on this stuff, sure. but, he, but it, it's, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. 
I mean, I listened to my mom and my dad how nervous they got with me, but I don't get that nervous with with Caleb at all because I feel he's got he's got a lot of control of what what yeah. his outcome is. And, you, and you know? you've got so, that confidence, yeah, that's good. Yeah, you know, I mean, no doubt, and I can tell you, I mean, I've seen stuff. We had an ideal happen at the very last race here in Pompano Beach where another driver on the last lap, I saw him, you know, come out of the corner and, you know, I saw Caleb let out to make the, the turn to come on the straightaway. And this kid, I just saw him lunge in his seat. You could just see him like jump out of his seat and drive his go-kart in as hard as he could into the back of Caleb yeah. and then, and then try to run him into the wall yeah. and then, and then kept doing this. And I was like, that, that's where I, when that happens to your son, then yeah. you're hot. Right. You got to conceal your emotions because, you know, you, you just can't go down there running, yelling and screaming. Right. And it's not right. the thing to do. It's hard. You got to let the officials take over. Yeah. You got to let the outcome come there. But, yeah. but deep down inside, you're like, you're very <laughs> upset. Yep. You, you better and, believe uh, Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, and, and when it came down to the end of that whole deal, we, it, it was, uh, it was a deal that came in. It's like, I wasn't going to, I was upset. I want, I looked at that. I wanted to say something to him, but then when I looked down, I saw his pushed in bumper was back. Then I was like, huh, you got a penalty, you yeah. know, it was in my right. mind. I'm like, it, it took care of itself. Yeah, so, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But, that's, and that's the whole point of having that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so, I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't get too nervous with Caleb racing. I get, I, get, I do get a little bit more nervous in the Europe sensation because there's Europe is, is very strong and very tough. And, yeah. um, but he's also learning a lot sure. over there too. And, um, I brought him up here. I've always brought him up. I was like, if, even through his younger years, a kid card and in the micro, it's like, if he ever bumped into somebody, I was the one scolding him or, or, right. or, 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 or yelling at him a little bit after that. Because yep. like we don't race like that, exactly. you know. It's like just because you got body work on your go kart, we don't we don't race like that. Because yep. I mean, you you know, you back in those gold cup days, you know, you know, we didn't have no body work. We had no. a number panel. No. We had a steel bumper, and yeah, you didn't have all these big noses and stuff that yeah that kind of lets people ram into each other. It, and and the fastest way around the track isn't banging into somebody either. You know. Nope. Uh, but but it happens but mm -hmm. well well Caleb you've been uh you've been waiting in the wings here but let's uh let's start talking about Caleb G and your career uh, first of all Caleb share with me what your first memory in karting is so my first memory in karting well what got me started was um one day I was at my dad's shop and he had a go-kart for me so I got in I put on one of his helmets on and I went out I was just kind of driving around. And then when I turned five, I started like really like racing. Won my first ever race at GoPro. So that's how it all started. So you won your first race at GoPro? Yep. Wow. Not too many people can say that. So so you your first competitive race, so you went out there and you you brought it home. Yep. That's pretty cool. Awesome. Well now you've from that you've evolved into racing nationally and then the last couple of years you've been going internationally i mean you you've got more uh, frequent flyer miles on you than most adults have in their entire life 
just going back and forth, which is pretty awesome. But tell us a little bit about racing overseas, racing in Italy, racing in Europe, and the differences between that and racing here in the U.S. So, I mean, here it's all about like, here it's all about like how you drive the car in the corner. And over there, it's all about tire temp. You don't want to go into the corner too hard every lap and then just like all the tire pressure just goes sky high and then you're done for the race. So you just want to keep it kind of like flow until you get to the last few laps and you can really like start pushing. So you're on a, I assume that means you're on like a softer compound over there and you got to, you got to preserve the cart and the tires until you make your move. But if you're, so let's say that you qualified bad or you were, you were in a, a little incident and it's the final and you're starting 20th. It's hard to conserve when you're starting 20th. Yeah. I mean, it's just like you see how it plays out in the beginning. And if you get through a decent amount, then you can kind of just sit back. If let's say you're top 10, like it, yep. let's say you start 20th and you get to the top 10 in the first five laps, you can kind of just sit there because it's a long race. And then coming down to the last maybe 10 laps, five laps, you can really just start pushing, going mm -hmm. through people, trying to get to the front as quick as possible. Right. Okay. That's cool. So what would you consider so far? And it's obviously you got a very young career. In fact, that you just started, this is your first year in the junior division, correct? Yep. Okay. So let's start first with the U.S. What would you consider to be a couple of your biggest accomplishments in the United States as far as race wins? Or, or even not a race win, but a podium where you really, you really felt like you went after and you, and you really, really felt good about the day. Well, probably my favorite win was um, in Newcastle Motorsports Park when I won my first Scusa race. And because my dad's never won the Scusa race. So I, <laughs> I had the, I was happy about that. Yeah, sure. How, how about overseas in Europe? Um, what's, what do you feel like the, the, so far? And you've, you know, there's a lot of this story to be written yet, but so far in Europe, what, what do you feel like has been your greatest accomplishment over there so far? In Europe, I feel like the Rock Super Final because okay. I had a like great beginning and just got unlucky at the end. But like in the beginning, we were just like super quick coming through the field. And with like, I think it was four laps to go, my rear bumper ended up falling off. So, oh. I mean, I was like, I couldn't, I had no idea what was happening. And I was just dropping back. And I actually took the lead in the corner before and then my bumper fell off and I fell back, so. Wow, that's, so you were right there until, uh, until you lost the bumper. Yeah. What, and, and, would you can say, let's start with the U.S. first. What would you say is your favorite circuit in the U.S. of the ones you've raced on? In the U.S., probably Vegas. Okay. All right. How about in Europe? In Europe? Out of the ones I've raced at or the ones yes. I want to race at? Out, out, of, out, of, out of the ones you've raced at? Probably South Garda. I've been to South Garda. That's a pretty cool track. I agree. That is a sweet track. Yeah. Yeah. And, and there's some you haven't raced on. So I take it there's a track that you haven't raced on yet that you feel like you're going to enjoy. Yeah. The, the one I really want to go to, which I'm 
going to sometime this year is uh, La Conca. Okay. All right. All right. Cool. Good deal. So what's your favorite food when you go over to Italy? Probably pizza. Yeah, no doubt. I'm sure. Yeah. That's a, you can't go wrong with pizza when you're in Italy. I guarantee you. Uh -huh. That's right. Well, Caleb, where do you see yourself 10 years from now? You're, how old are you now? 12, 11? Yep. 12. Okay. You're 22 years old. Tell me what you're doing in motorsports at 22. At 22, hopefully I'm an F1. Okay. All right. That's a good goal to have. And that's a, that's a good timeline for sure. Uh, you've got a, you got a good uh, influence there in your dad. He's going to push you only as hard as he knows you can be pushed. He's got the right idea. And I think it's showing us some really good results, Caleb. So keep, keep up the good work. Thank you. Well, I always wrap up these shows by asking this question. And Caleb, I'll ask you the question first. Okay. And the question is, what does carding mean to you? And how has it affected your life? Well, I mean, see, some people look at karting as just like another sport, but I look at karting as like a thing that you can do like every weekend. You always have a ton of fun. And if you don't have fun, then don't do it. Well, I tell you what, Caleb, that what you that last statement you just made is huge. And I tell people that all the time when it becomes work, when it becomes stress, when it becomes a hassle, you better do a reset because you might be in the wrong sport. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better. That is so true. Uh, you better believe it. That's that's well said. And Chuck, how about you? Carding has been such a huge part of your life. Uh, what what has it meant over the years, and what does it mean to you today? Carding, carding means family. And and fun. Um, I've always said about fun. I, I mean, you probably look through all my social media posts over all the years it's all been about fun and um you know i enjoy the travel i enjoy the families and um you know it's just been such a great sport and you know I, the one thing i i do want to add that i see a lot of people do is when they move on in other motorsports don't give up on karting yeah you know, always stay involved in some capacity. Mm -hmm. Always keep a go-kart to go ride. Um, yep. Go-karts work so many different muscles of your body that, I mean, I did it. I went off in the, in the cars and then when I came back to carts, I was like, there were certain muscles I was just lazy on, you know? <laughs> right. Um, so I always encourage people, just keep, keep a, keep a foot in there with, with the karting and, you know, you see it more and more now with um, with the, the some of the stars of the racing world that, you know, whether it be NASCAR, IndyCar, Formula One, there are a lot of people staying involved in the sport. Yes. They're getting involved, whether it be their own chassis, um, having their own teams, um, giving these kids a, a little extra step in their careers to get moving forward. Um, you know, here, here in the U.S., we run for Burrell Art. Um, and then when we go to Europe, we're at Burrell Art, but we're under the Lennox name. So we get to, Caleb's gotten a cool opportunity there to, to get to work beside Jordan Lennox and uh, Alessandro Minetti and oh, wow. some great mechanics oh. over there. And so we've, you know, as I said, we have fun. Um, yeah. 
and and is and another thing here we went uh i got I, i've kind of stepped away from being caleb's tuner and mechanic um in the past year we got a great guy luke farley that's been helping him out well the last race luke couldn't make it so caleb really didn't want me to do it but i talked my way into doing it. i said buddy let me let me do this so <laughs> we went down there and and it just it was about having fun and yeah. we turned out we turned out a top, you know, top seven performance. Yeah. And it was a lot of fun. And we walked away, we learned something, we had fun and and rocked on. So you know and you did something that, else. Too. It's, it's just it's, it's all about the fun part. You gotta, like you said, when you make it that you have to do something, you have to finish first, you have to win this race, you have to do this, that takes the fun out of it. So it just does. go have fun and let what happened happens. So yeah, and I'll tell you what else, and I, I direct this to the two of you, but you're also, whether you realize it or not, you're creating some memories that will carry through for the both of you. And Chuck, when you're long gone, it's going to carry through for Caleb for a long time too. I mean, these are memories that you oh, guys yeah. are going to keep, and 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 there, you cannot put a value on that. Nope, you can't. Yeah, so. you can't. I mean, I'm I'm just I'm I'm glad, you know, to be able to take Caleb to to help force these openings and doors to go here, go there. You know, I mean, here two weeks from now, you go race in Ocala and then you jump on an airplane on Monday and him and his mom go to Italy for three weeks. Wow. So he can race and, and he's going to get to go race that, that, that track he wants to at La Conca. So he's nice. Gonna, so, uh, but this is a new chapter this year with junior. It's going to be tough. It's going to be yeah. a learning year, but, yeah. uh, but have fun and see what happens. Absolutely. Well, guys, that about wraps up our podcast. Any closing comments before we uh, wrap things up? No. No? Oh, we good? All right. Well, who's who's the better driver, me or you? Me. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to go with that too, Chuck. Maybe back in the day, <laughs> but I mean, I, yeah. I, I think he's got that center of gravity thing going for you right now. He's got that lower center of gravity. <laughs> he <laughs> does. Can, you can he distribute does. the weight on his card a lot better than you can yours, I think. So yeah, he, he does. <laughs> I, I'm I, like I said, I'm very I'm very proud of him. I'm, I'm you should very be. excited to see what where he can get to in this in this world of motorsports. Yeah. You know. Well, and I and I've talked to Caleb some at the track, and obviously tonight. But one thing, Caleb, I admire about you is you're humble. Don't ever lose that because being humble and listening, you, you learn a lot more and you go a lot further. When you talk too much. And you think you're better than you really are you'll find out you're not quite that good so uh stay humble and good things will come your way buddy and they already are okay yeah yeah very good well that about wraps up another episode of racing with rk we want to thank our special guests chuck and caleb gafara and also thanks to all of our listeners for your continued support and enthusiasm be sure to say a prayer for our policemen firefighters hospital workers and all of our first responders they're out there in this mess every day in the middle of this doing their job. And uh, they, uh, they don't have any choices. They've got to be out there. So say a prayer for them as they're out there, in some cases, risking their lives for us. On behalf of Chuck and Caleb, this is Randy Kugler. Until next time, remember, racers don't last forever, but racing memories do.